Good Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com podcast with Austin Price and Rob Lewis. I'm Brent Hubbs. Podcast presented, as always, by our friends at Blue Water Climate Control. Remember, it's a great time to uh, make sure everything's running right as you bounce back and forth between heat and air condition. Most people are on the air conditioned life now. Some of us are still bouncing back and forth between the two, but you want to, uh, if you got an issue, you want to call Blue Water Climate Control because they're going to do things the right way. Um, they're going to come out and get it repaired with, the, with what you need. They're going to get it right the first time. Uh, great service. You can read all the reviews about their service on their website. And again, they've got a discount for VolQuest.com subscribers for all of the support that uh, you guys have given Blue Water Climate Control uh, in the year plus that they've been a part of. Uh, sponsoring the, the podcast here for us at VolQuest.com. Give them a call at 865-299-2290, or you can visit them online at BlueWaterClimateControl.com. Book your appointment, find out more about uh, Blue Water Climate Control at their website. All right, guys, plenty to get into in this podcast, even though we're heading into, quote, a slower time period here, final exams taking place with, with players and um, recruiting, uh, getting ready to get cranked up on June the 1st, but other things to talk about. Let's first dive into a little bit of the NFL draft, just your guys' reaction to the draft. I don't think it's any surprise the SEC led the way in draft picks, starting first with Tennessee. Um, for both of you, I mean, how surprised were you? Was it a bigger surprise to you that Josh Palmer was taken first or a bigger surprise that there was such a gap of space between when Palmer was chosen and where Trey Smith was chosen. I think it's pretty obvious, probably the answer there, but just your thoughts on Tennessee and the draft. Uh, Rob, I'll start with you. Well, I mean, I'll start with Josh. I thought, you know, I guess the way I would describe it is he, he was a third round pick in, in the NFL in spite of the Tennessee program he played for in, instead of despite that program. I mean, the kid had 450 yards receiving last year, ends up as a third round draft pick almost – you know, entirely, I think, because of what people saw from him in the senior bowl. I mean, he really – he didn't get any help from, from picking Tennessee out of high school and, and getting to the league. And I, and I think that's a, you know, a reflection of what's been wrong with this program over the year. I mean, not getting top-end talent on the front end and then not developing the talent that you do have. And, you know, it's like – I mean, it's, it's a cliche, but, I mean, the NFL draft is a reflection of kind of the health of your program from a talent standpoint. I mean, just look – Alabama 10 picks, Ohio State 10 picks, Georgia 9 picks. You know, it's just you can't win in this league if, if you don't have guys that are going to play on Sunday. And, I, you know, I'm happy for Josh and with Trey. I'm a little surprised, but I'm not shocked that people didn't want to take that risk. But I will say if he ends up, you know, being able to stay healthy and stay on the field, I'll, I'll be stunned if he's not to steal the entire draft. See, I agree. I For me, and, and you know, Trey sent me a nice text message on, on – Sunday, yeah. He, I told him, I said, Trey, I would much rather have went in the sixth round to Kansas City than the third round to some, you know, half decent franchise. I mean, Kansas City set up, you know, with a, with a franchise quarterback, with franchise playmakers, and, and Brent. When when you factor in the in the Super Bowl, they couldn't protect Patrick Mahomes. Now they went out and done some things to sure up their offensive line, but then they add him late in, 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 the, in the draft, I, I think this is a great place and a great landing spot for him. Just look when you look at the overall kind of arc of everything, like, again, I, I, if I'm him, I would, I'm disappointed I fail, but at the same time, pretty happy with where I ended up and probably happier that I ended up falling 
there than than getting drafted higher yeah, somewhere it's in the not middle like of the road. Went, not like you went the sixth round to the Jets. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, no, that's, I, I agree with you 100%. And I think everybody in the NFL obviously had him redlined and, and, and understandably because of everything he went through medically at, at Tennessee, and, and that's why he fell. I don't think anybody in an evaluation in the NFL wrote up, you know, this guy's a, you know, six-round pick at best. You know, I think it's just because of the medical stuff and the fact that he couldn't go visit with individual franchises probably hurt him in terms of getting some of those, those medical answers um, that those franchises needed. We, we saw Adam Schefter talk about that. Um, so I, I'm with you guys. I think he's landed at a good spot. I think he's got the talent to make that team. There'll be competition there. But if he's healthy and, and can practice, you know, every day, I think that's going to be the big challenge is can he practice every day? Because he's going to need to practice every day if he's going to go win a roster spot, have a chance to be – you know, on the field and playing significant snaps for that franchise, he's got to be able to practice even more than he did this past year. We know he practiced more this past year than he did the previous year. Uh, As for Palmer, I I think Austin, you pointed this out. And um, I guess my biggest surprise with him being drafted where he was, and I know that, you know, there were several other teams that that liked him. He was going to go um, in the third round somewhere. Cause that's why I think there were multiple teams that said, Hey, if he's there in the third round, we want to take him. But the fact that he didn't play special teams at Tennessee, Austin makes it a little bit surprising to me that somebody that, that multiple teams really liked him as much as they did, because I guess he could learn to play teams in the NFL. Um, but he wasn't a kick returner. He wasn't a punt returner. He didn't do anything on teams at Tennessee which if you're not going to be a number one or number two receiver, which you don't think he's going to be um, with the Chargers out of the gate, it's a little surprising to me that he went that high without that on his resume. Well, you know, when you look at kind of the flash, I mean, he flashed a lot in his short time here. You go back to even two years ago at Georgia, he had the two touchdown catches, uh, There's, you know, and two big plays down there on those deep balls. Of course, back then, then he was wearing a different number, wearing a number in the 80s. Um, and then he switched to five. And just, I mean, you know, I, I'll give, you know, the, the previous you know, two staffs ago, I mean, Bob Welton and them saw something in Josh Palmer, Zach Azani. Um, you know, they, they saw something in those, in, in this kid, you know, kind of a late bloomer um, coming out of Canada down to St. Thomas Aquinas. And uh, he just, got better and better over his his college career. And again, much like Trey, goes to a spot, he's a receiver, and he's going to catch balls from a quarterback that's going to be in the second year that had a dynamite freshman or freshman rookie here in the NFL last year in Justin Herbert. I mean, like, you know, that again, you start factoring in where these guys land. He's not going to Philly to catch balls from Jalen Hurts, who's still going to look to run it more than he throws it. He's not going to Baltimore. Uh, where, you know, Lamar Jackson he still runs it as much as he throws it. He's going to a, a place that they will throw it all over the lot, and they need receivers. And, you know, Keenan Allen's getting a little bit older, and uh, Mike Williams has not been exactly perfect coming out of Clemson like, you know, that franchise probably hoped he would, you know, several years ago. So he's going to have a shot there because they don't necessarily have an alpha one or two. They've got – to me, Josh Palmer is exactly where Keenan Allen – and Mike Williams were as far as for, as far as that same level. I don't think any of them are just alpha ones. Um, so they're just really good, solid players. 
I would say how and how much do you think Josh was helped by the fact that due to the quarterback play the past couple of years, he probably has many con- contested catches on film as anybody in the country. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, you go you, you go back, Brent, and 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 this was the one thing that that I know that was on on one and they you heard him say it when they they put the the phone call out with Josh Palmer uh, between the GM and the head coach and Palmer when they told him they were drafting him. But it was something I heard everybody talked about going into the draft. When you put on the film of Josh Palmer, what kind of games did he have against some of the better corners that got drafted? J.C. Horn, Patrick Sertain, Tyson Campbell. He had bigger plays in those games against Alabama, South Carolina, and Georgia. There are plays on film from last year where he got behind Sertain and Campbell for touchdowns. And, you know, yeah. I mean, Tennessee, you know, obviously wasn't in those games, but they're, they're, those are two, two, two clips that not a lot of receivers had, even, even in this league. No doubt. I mean, and, and, you know, there were a lot of people because of that, particularly, you know, Horn and, and Sertan, those two, those two guys who obviously went high in the draft, there were NFL people, you know, uh, who said, yeah, he's an NFL wide receiver. He, he's going to, he's going to make it, even though his quarterback hasn't helped him enough, but he's going to be an NFL wide receiver. And he certainly was Rob. I know you've got a, a piece coming out um, about Tennessee in the draft overall. When you look at it, obviously 2017, you got Derek Barnett in the first round, Alvin Kamara in the third round, Cam Sutton in the third round. You know that that's you know those guys are doing all right. But when you look at the overall number of guys drafted, um, that that is a telling sign, as you said earlier, about kind of what Josh Heupel has inherited and where Tennessee is at this point in time and and the rebuild that's in front of them. And it. Oh yeah, I mean you go back to. I mean, when, when Eric Berry and, and Dan Williams both went in the first round in uh, what would the, that, that would have been the 2010 draft. Yep. Um, since then, you had Cordero go off, off a bad team as, as one of the last picks in, in the first round. Um, and then at, since Cordero and what was – that was the 2013 draft, I think. Yep. You've had Juwan James and Derek Barnett in the last six years. And as first round picks, I mean, that's, it's, I mean, Alvin was obviously a first round talent, but I mean, not a first round pick, but first round talent in hindsight. So, I mean, two, two first round picks as an SEC program in the last six years. I mean, that just, again, I mean, you're, you're not going to compete at the top of the league when when that's the case. And And four picks in the last two years, total. Yeah. Whereas, Whereas Kentucky had six this year themselves and Missouri Missouri had five didn't they they had at least four I think they had five yeah they had Missouri had five yeah Kentucky had six and I mean it's I mean just that, that shows you just exactly what you said Hover. what what Heupel is walking into yep it certainly it certainly does and and because of that Austin we're seeing Tennessee active in the transfer portal it's been busy for the volunteers obviously you know, Joe Milton, everybody knew that was coming, but Tennessee active on the defensive side uh, with two pickups and, and, and who knows, may, maybe more coming. It, it, it certainly feels like Tennessee is – they're not taking guys just to take guys, but if there are guys out there that they think that can help them and make an impact, it seems like Josh Heupel um, is okay with going after guys and, and not, not necessarily getting – you know, caught up in, in, in worrying about a bunch of numbers and, and all that stuff that, that I've kind of suggested, you know, with self-imposed stuff and everything else. The self-imposed penalty is more on the 85 than it is on initials um, traditionally. 
Uh, but it seems like Tennessee it has been aggressive and will continue to be somewhat aggressive with guys they like in the portal, doesn't it? Well, I think you have to be aggressive because, again, the schedule sets up for you this year to where if you can overachieve, find a way to overachieve because nobody's expecting anything out of this program. I mean, like they are the total underdogs flying under the radar program. So if they can find to, find a way to overachieve expectations, which are set very, very low, um, you know, then, then you establish something with recruits going forward, in my opinion. So I would be aggressive, you know, and, and, and try to get some guys that can help you. They feel like Caleb Tremblay can help them. He's coming in here. They feel like Jawan Mitchell can help them. He's coming in here. And then, of course, you know, that's not to say that they don't feel like they have any quarterbacks in the room because that would be inaccurate. But do they feel like they've got a locked-in starter? No, they don't. So you bring in Joe Milton as well. And, and I, you know, I mentioned this in the chat. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see if Tennessee would go on a guy like Javante Payton from Nashville, ties to the state. He about came here out of high school, then had to go JUCO, then about came out of here out of JUCO and, you know, just end up going to Mississippi State. So third time's the charm, maybe, Brent. I mean, you know, this is, does have a, uh, you know, this does have someone on the roster currently who committed to Derek Dooley, and that was four <laughs> coaches ago. Like, I mean, like, seriously, like, that, is, that, is, is that legit? Not, is Darrell Middleton not the greatest story? He committed to Derek Dooley's staff. That was when he was a freshman in high school. That was Dooley's last year. Since then, he, we've had five years of Butch, three years of Pruitt, and because he had the, the road less travel going Juco and winding in and around um, and having an extra COVID year, he's still on the roster for Josh Heupel. Let that resonate, people. Derek Dooley has been gone here nearly a decade, and someone who committed to him, now granted he committed when he was a freshman in high school, is still on this roster. Because I remember where I was. I was walking through the Target when I got a call and said, Terrell Middleton's committing. And I did the interview with the kid, recorded it on my wife's phone, walking around the closed section of Target at Turkey Creek. AP, that, that story reminds me. Have you got anything on, on Gerald Williams in that sixth year? <laughs> <clears throat> you know, I honestly I honestly think the Terrell Middleton story is more fascinating than the Gerald Williams Fork well, Union to San Francisco Community College. It, it back is, but there haven't been as many questions about Gerald Williams <laughs> as there were or about Daryl Milton is or worry about Gerald Williams over the course of that journey. Yeah, the biggest question no, is, is Middleton going to be a part of, of the Josh Heupel program or not? And we'll we'll have to see what happens with, with him moving forward. I, Austin, you've opened up a pretty interesting uh, topic, quick topic I want to, I'm going to just, just have some fun with before we dive back into a couple other football things. All right, so you did an interview at Target with Darrell Middleton, a commitment interview there for a story. Rob, where's the best commitment interview you did? Oh, man. Random place. Driving back from the, with, from the beach with the wife and two young children and pulling into a um, – and not like in downtown anywhere, still like in that, you know, that kind of nebulous zone where there aren't any interstates. You're just going through a bunch of small towns and red lights and uh, doing it in the parking lot of a ribeyes uh, steakhouse. In, in far eastern North Carolina. Thanks, Devontae Gaines. Devontae Gaines is the one who did that. Austin, is Target your best? 
Is that your is that your is that your best place you've done one? Probably probably not. But to be honest with you, like there's been numerous times where I have got a kid on the phone, asked him a question that I knew he would have to be long winded on, called Jesse or Brent or whoever, and said record this, and I flip back over. The kid's still rambling about whatever the hell he's talking about, and. And, and, and then I just go into the interview and, you know, whoever, you know, recorded, cause like, again, like, I, you know, it's like, if you have noticed, like, you know, like with Jawan Mitchell, like it had mine and Ben's name on it. Cause I got Ben on, I got Jawan on the phone and then Ben wrote it, you know? Um, so like that happens a lot. So there are, there are other times. I mean, I can't think it off the top of my head. I'm, I'll, I'll, the one I, the one I'll never forget is the one you all, uh, I was at Riverstone resort and spa in pigeon forge and did the Tyler Bray deal. And then um, he announced during media day and getting the messages from you guys saying everybody just was crushed when they got the little notification on their phone in the media center. Like that, those little things. I, t- I, I, I got a manual negative in the parking lot of a food line while also on vacation. <laughs> I did, um, I did Luke Stocker at a K's ice cream in Jefferson city, leaving uh, on my way home. Well, from I don't remember that one drove us crazy because we knew he had committed and then we couldn't get him on the phone for yeah. like two or three days. Yeah. I got him while I was feeding a young, I mean, my, 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 my deal was to, to my son. Hey, I, I think he was, I think I, st- I think I had, a, my son was born at that point, but it, I had some smaller, maybe my nephew with me. I'm like, hey, eat this ice cream because I got to talk to this kid no. for a few minutes. So I threw I'll some ice cream in a kid to, to do that one. Uh, it's, it's, I, this is not a commitment one, but there was the, there was the, the, who was the kid out of Memphis that like went to Duke? It wasn't Elliot Williams. It was another, or, or North Carolina. It was somebody from Leslie. What was Leslie's last name? Either way. Rob said, I can't get this kid on the phone, AP. Can you get this kid on the phone? I'll get you Ruth's Chris if you get this kid on the phone. So I just messaged the kid, hey, look, my buddy says he'll get me Ruth's Chris <laughs> if you'll answer my phone call. And the kid called me with the snap of a finger. And I was like, pay up, Rob. I did. I gave you a gift card. You did. You're right. You did. This, this was not. This was nothing exotic, but it's funny to, to look back on how things have changed. And I actually thought about it because I saw him at the spring game. But Ramon Foster, golly, I remember that would have been 2003. I guess. Maybe, like maybe even 02. But anyway, I, Ramon was up in the press box um, during the Orange and White game. And I joked with him that I had written his commitment story. And it, it shows you how things have changed because it was just like a random Wednesday night. And I was calling to get an update, like, hey, you know, Ramon, when's the last time you talked to Coach Fulmer? What, you know, what's going on? He was like, I actually talked to him just a half hour ago. I just committed. And, I was, and we were joking. And, you know, if that happened now, he'd be in the middle of Ripley High School gymnasium with, you know, a, te- a conference table and you know, three or four hats on it. And instead, it was just like, I, I just I called him up and committed tonight. And it shows you how things have changed in almost two decades. Yep. I called, I called David Leverton, got his commitment. Mark Bradley was in the house. Uh, as Tennessee's assistant coach, he committed to Bradley. I didn't know it. I just cold called David to see yeah, what's same, going same on. Deal here. And he answered because yeah, I just committed to Coach Bradley. He's sitting across the across the room from me in a chair. And then my other one was uh, New Year's Eve at Orgeron. Um, I was at a restaurant in Gatlinburg and um, interviewed him on a dinner napkin. 
and and a pen and a pen from a waitress there. Mrs. Hubs loved that, didn't she? She was real excited about that one because I had to go back and write it after after we got done with dinner. So anyway, um, but back to the transfers. Um, I, obviously, Tennessee's got three. Austin, how would you rate what Josh Heupel's been able to do in the transfer portal? What do you what do you like about these three? I mean, we've talked about Milton a lot, but the other two in particular. What do you what do you like about what they've got done there? Well, all positions of need, you know. And, and and that's the that's the thing, Brent. I mean, defensive line, linebacker, and then of course, you know, quarterback. You know, all positions that you know you know that that they need help. And so that's kind of you know the big thing to me. If you're going to go down that road, you've got to take guys. You know, at positions you know you need bodies, need people that can help you, and they've done that to this point. Now they could use help in the secondary. Um, you know, and they probably, you know, could use help at a lot of different positions where they're just real thin, but we'll see if they're able to get anything else between now and, you know, let's say June or early July. Yeah. And again, for those who, you know, come up with this notion that you have to be in the portal by a certain date, May 1st or whatever that was out there, that's just not accurate. You can go in the portal whenever major burns, by the way, who's transferring from Georgia, I certainly believe and expect that he, is going to go back to Baton Rouge at LSU. In LSU, he's from Baton Rouge, so that one would make the most sense there. Even though a lot of people certainly like um, his skill and and like what what he is about, so we'll see what Tennessee can get done uh, in the transfer portal moving forward. Isn't it July one the deadline? I think, which I can promise you, Rick Barnes hates. I mean, that's and and coaches across the country. I may I may be a, you know a little off on that, but I know it doesn't end until well into June and I believe July 1 is the deadline and that's a, to me that's that's pretty unfair to college coaches now I'm a big advocate for players being able to move and and not sit out but I don't think you need 75 days between the end of spring practice and and, and the deadline to decide I mean I think co- coaches I think deserve to go into June into what I call the official start of summer knowing what the roster is going to look like next year yeah I mean I think that you got I mean certainly you got to Again, I think that's a change that the, they're going to have to make in regards. To I think the they will portal. Make I mean, you just can't have guys in that situation uh, where, where you know they've got all season long. They can go in the portal in the middle of the season, remain on the team. I mean, that's just hard roster management for a coach. Um, and, and we'll see kind of what changes are made there. We'll see how kids adjust to the transfer portal after seeing you know what happens to some of those guys who have gone in the portal and probably are not getting. Um, some of the things that they were expecting to, to get in terms of offers and, and availabilities out there and, um, you know, not getting the type of, of opportunities they thought they were going to get. There's, over, the there's over 1,100 basketball players, Division One basketball players in, in the portal. I, I doubt that there are 1,100 roster spots. No, there's absolutely not. talking about high school kids coming in, COVID guys coming back. Yeah, I mean, there's I, some guys who have made some bad decisions. Yeah, absolutely. All right, before we get to football recruiting, uh, just while we're on the topic of transfers, anything new in the basketball world transfer? Yeah, I, I don't have anything new. I mean, I wouldn't rule something out. You know, some I wouldn't rule out something happening. But right now, I don't get the impression that Tennessee is really far down the road with anybody. I know they're, you know, looking into some kids' situations, investigating some guys. You know, why, why are they leaving? How would they fit in our culture? that type of thing. But as far as somebody that they're in deep with, I don't think that's the case right now, but let me stress with the portal open for, you know, more than a month, more than another month, I, I wouldn't rule out something happening. 
All right, Austin Price, you got the pleasure of uh, touring the state of Tennessee with me and my, my little Toyota Corolla White Rocket, um, 1,075 miles in about 36 hours, 13 stops. Uh, we've started uh, putting out some of those um, interviews, and we'll continue to have some of those things in the coming days. What, what, what was your takeaway, not, not my driving, not my food selection. Um, I was Demas's, I think. <laughs> We didn't make it there. We didn't, we didn't go. <laughs> I'm telling you what, there was, I mean, there was a lot of gas station food in that trip. I'm telling we, you that. We, we, ate, we, ate, we ate like crab, Rob, and, and to the point where we we even stopped. at Instead of just coming home, we, we both wanted decent food, and we went to the Logan's Roadhouse in Cookville just to have a, a, a adequate food because uh, it was like, you know, jacks and that type of, type of trip. Like candy, just... candy bars and bags of chips from the gas station. All right, Austin, what, what was your takeaway from um, just to kind of overall? And talk, I mean, we talked to 22s, 23s, 24s. Uh, what, what's your takeaway on, on the state of Tennessee and Tennessee right now? Well, the Golden Flake chips are really, really hot. <laughs> um, you know, but, you know, there's going to be a lot of kids in this state for the next several years and Tennessee's making it a priority. You know, we've seen that, Brent, just in the last, you know, 12 to 14 hours with them offering, you know, uh, the kid at Mount Juliet, with them offering A.C. Mason Young at Covington. You know, again, you've got to approach these in-state kids like you do the kids that are four states over. I would continue to belabor that point, and this staff's doing it. I mean, let's give them some credit. They are out, you know, ahead on, on, on several of these guys in-state. And, you know, um, and, and when I say, like, you know, have the, some of these kids been offered by Eastern Kentucky and, and those type of schools? Yes. But from, from the Power Five level, Tennessee's getting out ahead of most of them. And that's good to see because, you know, we heard that from several coaches that Tennessee as a program for the last 10 or 15 years has always been slow to offer, you know. And, you know, they've waited and waited and waited until, you know, a player had five or six offers and then, you know, you're playing catch up. And so this staff's trying to not do that. They're, they've been very proactive in the 23s, um, you know, and getting out there ahead of, ahead of the game in a lot of areas. So um, I, I think Tennessee, you know, they can still be major players for guys like Jalen Lewis and Anthony Brown. But at the same time, they've got to choose to go full steam ahead with those guys. You know, and, and started to do that with Lewis. I think we're starting to see a little bit more traction with Anthony Brown. Um, you know, Cam Miller, I think Tennessee sits in a really good spot there, uh, barring, you know, Alabama coming hard after him. You know, I, I know the reaction to my interview with Dallin. You know, honestly, Dallin put out back-to-back -back days of Tennessee edits after we did that interview. And, you know, I still would consider Ohio State the favorite there. But I, I've said for a while, I think it's Ohio State or Tennessee. Like, I think Notre Dame is a nice show pony that you put on the mantle but I don't think he's going there. And Illinois is in it because Bielema has treated Chase like, you know, one of the family. And, and that's made a huge impression on Dallin, you know, that, that, that Brett Bielema has been so good to, to his big brother at both Arkansas and now at Illinois. So, um, you know, for, for me, you know, I, I look across the state, Tennessee's making it an, an, you know, a priority. And you can tell. Does that mean they're going to land everybody? No, because you're never going to land everybody in state. But you got to land a majority of the ones you want, and and I think they can still do that, um, you know, you know, over the next several months if if they're given time.
Yeah, I think with those 23s and 24s too, you know, you said this earlier when talking about taking transfers, that those guys want to see some success on the field. I mean, I'm, yeah. and I'm not saying the 22s don't, but a lot of those 22s are going to be off the board before Tennessee ever snaps the football in, in all likelihood. A good bulk of them are. Those 23s and 24s, though, you know, if Tennessee can have some early success out of the gate and, and some individuals have success and that, that you get an idea of what their identity is going to be, I think that's important. And I think that's something that this staff probably looks at and, and why the transfer portal is, is so important for them. It's not just for wins. It's for the perception of, the, of where the program is moving and the direction it's moving to. Yeah, I mean, right now they're selling a vision. The next two classes they can sell film. It's a great way to put it. Uh, I'll say this, Brent. I look for little things like, you know, how kids handle themselves. Um, you know, it, it, sure, like their ability on the field matters, but like what's their mental makeup like? Like Jalen Lewis, he walked in the room. He didn't wait on us to initiate with him. He came straight to us, shook our hands. Like little things like that, you know, to me, like are, are impressive. The fact that Marquez Taylor at, you know, a 23 over there at, at McKenzie High School, um, you know, he, he looked us up on on Twitter and then sent a nice tweet to us afterwards. Like, you know, I, I thought that was nice. Um, you know, Anthony Brown, who's got a little bit of a list when he talks, rolled right through a six-minute interview with you, was unaffected by it, confident. Like, that kind of stuff. Like, that. you know, other kids might have been bothered by that, but he wasn't. Like, I mean, like the mental makeup of things to me uh, for, for certain kids goes a long way in addition to what they can do physically on the field. Um, so, like, yeah, I, a good group of kids, man. I, I don't know how you felt. I thought that Nathan Robinson was was as imposing of a kid as, as we've seen um, on that trip to 2023 at Greenbrier. Um, you know, you and I both remarked, you know, how good the Herring brothers looked. Yeah, Caleb, who's obviously going to be a highly ranked kid, but, man, Elijah looks the part, dude. I'm telling you, I, we, I think you, you agree with me. Like, Tennessee's going to look back and go, we are so – we made the right decision going hard after Elijah Herring. Yeah, I think he – I thought he looked fantastic. And, and I'm with you. I mean, kids are more polished today. I think kids are more understanding of their brand. I think that's something that is talked about. But, you know, when you go into these smaller towns and, and do these things, you kind of wonder how that's – how those guys are going to be. Some of those guys had never really done interviews before. And, um, you know, really – really impressed with, with, with how those kids were. And, um, you know, the high school football in the state of Tennessee is, is in, is in a good spot because it's consistently getting better, um, better athletes, better coaching. Uh, you know, there's, Rob, there's not this, you know, cycle up for one grade class and then boom, there's a big drop off. I mean, there may be a class a little bit better than the next class, but there's not that big downfall like we saw, 15, 17 years ago when, when we were covering this thing. Yeah, it's an enormous difference. And I, I mean, I want to, I mean, not only in just the talent, but I wanted to, I mean, this is off tangent and doesn't have anything to do with what happens on the field, but I run into less and less kids that are just a pain in the butt to deal with. I mean, remarkably less. I mean, I, I can't even remember the last kid basketball or football wise I dealt with is like, man, I would pay 50 bucks not to make that phone call again. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the explanation is. I mean, I think maybe you're, what you said, they're aware of the brand. I think maybe guys who are going to have the opportunities that these kids have get identified earlier and get into programs, whether that's, you know, seven-on-seven seven stuff or, or like Buck and NPA, where they're just around mentors who 
you know, kind of, you know, broaden their horizons a little bit. But I think that's an interesting point you just brought up about how, you know, polished kids are and how, you know, maybe appreciative, assertive, confident they are. Because, I mean, and I'm looking at you, Jamarcus Russell. <laughs> well, you know, for, for all the talk about, like, for all the talk about, like, the, the, the you know, well, we like written stories versus we like the videos, you know, that goes on on our site. I want to tell you right now, the coaches, the coaches love the videos because they get a, to see what a kid's like in that setting, to see how they handle themselves, to see how tall they are. I don't know how many times I get a phone call, how tall are you? How tall, how tall, how tall is Brent? You know, like, you know, because I mean, they're trying to figure so Brent's a legit six one. Oh, look now. You know, I mean, like, filled out. He's still filling out though, I think. You know, so I mean, like, they get to see, and honestly, as I was telling, I told Dallin Hayden this tonight, where you have come doing an interview on camera in the last three years is remarkable. And how much that helps you when you go to college, I don't think the kids truly understand because they walk in the door and they understand looking at the camera, answering in complete sentences, talking. And it's just different than when you, you know, have a recorder stuck in your face. Well, and I think they also get coached up so much by their, by, you know, their high school coaches about, you know, what they're putting out there on social media, how every college coach that, that's recruiting you is, is looking at your social media profile. What's your, you know, what's your tweet history? What do you put on Instagram? I just, you know, there's a lot of negatives about social media. I think we can all agree, but it, I think it's also made kids a lot savvier about how they present themselves. Well, I'll say this, and, and, and I know we're running out of time. I remarked to Hubs when we made the drive from Jackson down to Selmer and across over to, to Hardin County. It really gives you a greater appreciation for John Ward, who taught me about Humboldt, Tennessee, and about Mumford, Tennessee, and about these little small towns that Tennessee's actually recruiting in again, McKenzie. There's a kid at Ripley. You mentioned Ripley earlier, Rob. That Tennessee is evaluating in the 22 class. Ernest is he someone they'll take? Milan, Tennessee. You know, you know, Milan, Tennessee. You know, you, you you really start going down. You know, some of these little West Tennessee towns, and it was just neat. I had a blast. You know, we were in the White Rocket. Hubs was going a million mile an hour. I was without my Apple CarPlay, which is just a you know a, a drag back in you know the decades of technology. But I mean, like it, it was a good time outside of the fact that we literally did eat Golden Flake. Uh, barbecue potato chips you know oh, multiple times on the trip all that was missing was the flux capacitor right ap since we didn't have apple play i'll say this i've never made i've never made the drive east of jackson tennessee to memphis without being on the interstate and we got off the interstate before you got to jackson and went up to henry county up to, to paris tennessee and didn't see the interstate again until we were in memphis wow i didn't um, know you could, i didn't know you could do that and and saw four kids, seven kids in the process of making that drive. I, I think April, yeah. like that. So it, and, it was, and then, it and was then, a lot of fun. And then, then made that drive from Hardin County, which I thought was going to be just straight back roads, but it was really nice four lane, four lane state highways all the way back to 65 and then up around, uh, but, you know, 840 back to, to Murfreesboro. I will argue that you, there is, I mean, there probably is when you get into Arkansas or maybe, you know, some of the North Dakota, South Dakota, Nashville to Jackson, desolate drive. 
It was pretty interesting off the interstate. You want to well, I believe that, but if you're just good. on 40, oh, no, it's there's a no. desolate drive. That's why there was no hotel rooms in Jackson. Uh, I'm going to tell you right. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now what I told Brent, what I told Brent, Rob. Had you been on that trip, Roscoe P. Coltrane would have arrested you 44 times for speeding <laughs> through those small West Tennessee days. There is no, there is no way we'd have been running like the from like we look like. Uh, you know, Burt Reynolds and Smokey and the Bandit running, running from, you know, Buford T. Justice out in West Tennessee had, uh, had you been on the drive. We've got, we've got 48 hours to talk to 21 recruits <laughs> and get drive for Knoxville and, and get to Memphis and get back with the tape. Yep, we did it in 36. We, so we did made it pretty good time. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Blue Water Climate Control BallQuest.com podcast. Hope everybody enjoyed it, and hope you guys have a great Tuesday. We'll talk to you soon.